Hi, you're listening to Celluloid Cardswallop with James and Gemma. Sit down and enjoy yourself, grab a snack and have some fun. And welcome to this week's Celluloid Codswallop. I am joined yet again by the wonderful, the brilliant, the exceptional, but also filthy Joanne. Hello, Joanne. Hi, James. You're pretty fucking unique yourself, you know. <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> so we are on episode seven of Picard. It's amazing to think we've got this far. And episode seven is called... And let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. Nepenthe? Yep, that's it. It's another uh, Greek record. It is. It is. So, we open on three weeks ago. Now, we, we open again on Joanne's all-time favourite person ever, eating salad <laughs> or something of some sort on a bench. It is, of course, the good Dr. Agnes. Yeah, she's eating sushi this time, which is quite appropriate, I suppose. It's culturally appropriate because she's in Japan. At the Okinawa Institute. Or is it cultural appropriation? Let's <laughs> oh, get into the complicated world there of PC stuff. Something <laughs> that we certainly are not. Correct, we're not. So the cool part is we get an answer. We get an answer in this scene to the big question of what motivated Agnes to like, betray everybody and kill Maddox. And it, it was quite interesting. So we got uh, we got, you know, Commodore Roy Orbison, as we have so kindly referred to her, um, and she's sort of quizzing Agnes on what she do with Picard, and she basically says to her, uh, we know, well, in essence, she pretty much says to him, you know, says to her, sorry, we know what you've done. Um, and, well, as it unfolds, she um, she basically... Uh, performs a mind meld on her, which I thought was quite an interesting thing because she she says to her, I want to show you what the synthetic life forms will do, what chaos will come from this. Um, very well shot actually, just before that happened because they were the the managed to take a shot of Commander O's Ryobison sunglasses, very well <laughs> you know, on a very good up close shot without showing any of the crew in it. We're just getting a nice mirror of Agnes's face. Not sure how they did it, but they did a very good job of doing it. Um, That's what a good did point. You... I haven't actually noticed that because anytime I try to take a, a selfie whenever we're in Catwoman with her goggles down, you can see the room. Yeah. <laughs> just, you just spot everything. Uh, well, it's actually quite, it's, it's a bit of a weird scene too. Because Agnes is obviously a touch. She can't, she can't keep anything quiet. She just confesses, even though Captain O says, we know what you said. Well, mm-hmm. Gerardi just comes for everything. Oh, yeah, I gave Picard all this information, and I told him this, and I told him that, and I told him other things. And I'm thinking, fuck me, you can't hold your water. You'd be no good at <laughs> in interrogation. If you're no good sitting out in the sunlight eating your sushi and somebody asks you a question and you tell them everything, you'd, you'd be useless under interrogation. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to. She would be useless. Uh, in World War Two, she was captured by the enemy. 
Yeah, she'd be useless in pretty most warfare scenarios, to be honest. But what I what I want to pick your brains on, what I found interesting when I was when I was reviewing this, well, so when I was viewing it initially, then I viewed it the second time. The thought that came to me is uh, Commodore O is saying to Wright, "We're going to mind meld, and I'm going to show you what will happen." with the, the synthetic life forms and you've seen all these the sort of war unfolding people shooting people and what looks like a planet earth or uh, a planet of uh, a similar approximation exploding sun's exploding etc and it has a terrible impact on agnes and she throws up and uh, whatnot which tells us a lot about how she deals with stress which will become apparent later in the episode um do you think or what do you think to this thing that i was wondering about commodore o seems to be showing her the future. So how does Commodore O know what will happen in the future? Mm, this is worthwhile actually going into. I think just talking a wee bit more about this scene, the thing for me was the fact that the Romulans are doing the heavy lifting on a lot of, an awful lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Starfleet are involved too, because she tells Agnes that she Starfleet are looking at her assistance to do something. But it looks as well, whenever you go into the the sort of the flash forward flashback, it it, it looked that there's there's this group of figures in black cloaks and they're mm-hmm. holding some sort of well, seance or group mind meld type thing anyway, and, and they, they see into the future. But did this happen before the Romulans and and the um the, the Vulcans before they broke off, you know, as a species, mm-hmm. and, and that's sort of like a, a collective ancient memory. I, I mean, if I was Agnes, I'd be thinking, hang on here a wee minute, did you just put that into my head? Is that some sort of like, do you know the way you used to hear about false memory things? People were going to a therapist, hypnotherapist, and they were coming and going, oh my goodness, I was abused and I had all these yeah. childhood memories. I couldn't help but wonder about that too. How the. Mm, I- it, this is all kind of mystical shit, and yet the Romulans and the Vulcans have have based, and Starfleet actually too, have based some sort of big operation around some people tripping out in the middle of a desert mushrooms. Like, <laughs> 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 my bitches be tripping here. And I read, I read a thing that uh, apparently this scene, you know, you were talking about that, that Earth-like planet blowing up. That's mm-hmm. actually from Discovery. And here we go, uh, very early into the podcast with conspiracy theories here. But it had been suggested that, do you remember uh, there was the, in Discovery Series 2, there was the AI that went rogue? I'll have to take Uh, your your word for that, but go on. Yeah, well, this AI goes rogue. I can't remember the name of it, it's just gone out of my head. And, ah, damn it. And so is it possible that that was in the past, but that AI, I think they man- managed to disable it in some way. What happens if it was pushed into the future and it's all connected with, with um, Soji and, and all this shit? No, I don't think it will be because it keeps saying that there's no connection between Discovery and Picard. But you've got a similar sort of circumstance where this AI has, has gone has gone rogue in some way and it's, it's killing everything around it. Mm. I, I don't well, I, I would be seriously worried about taking the, you know, the you no know, somebody having a weird vision and, um, mm. and you know, running and basing your whole life on it. Mm. Should we be like, really, be perfectly honest? Somebody has a mad thought and everybody takes it. 
Yeah, it's a bit like joining a sect, basically. Uh, some sort of weird cult. And the brainwash should be right. She's believing it so strongly uh, on this one flash of everything. How could that have so... It, it, it does seem a bit odd that if you're thinking up to this point. So we'll have to take it some... some uh, a leap of faith at this point, as annoying as you find Agnes, she was probably not a bad person. She was just a, a normal doctor doing a job, um, eating yeah, a sushi and listening and listening to a classical music on a, uh, you know, her um, Apple. Uh, sorry, no, this is an Amazon product. Her Amazon headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, uh, that actually that that uh, classical music that she was listening to begins with K. I uh, can't remember the name of it. Uh, it actually featured in an episode of the Discover- of Discovery as well. Uh, the two guys that uh, have the relationship that are husband and husband uh, in, in the series, they love that particular opera. The doctor and, and the other guy who's an engineering biologist type person, they love that particular opera. And it was unusual, actually. It was good that it, it featured somewhere else again. Couple of Discovery... This is the thing. They said that there's no link between Discovery and Picard, but there's a couple of Discovery Easter eggs actually within mm. within this episode. Excellent. So interestingly, the the event give Agnes, who's really, really, I mean, understandably, emotionally upset. And I know you hate the character, but I do take my hat off to Alison Pill. She does do upset convincingly. Um, they the give time. her a little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they go. Well, she's got the cool shaky chin thing, uh, but they give her um, like a, a tracking thing to chew. Um, again, taking pills off strange people. Although I'm assuming she must, there must be some knowledge of Commodore Rowe as a high-ranking Starfleet individual. Um, I actually do think that a, tr- a, a chewable tracking device would be very useful for me to keep an eye on where my dad is because I never actually know where my dad is in the country, or if I'm honest, if he's even in the country sometimes. <laughs> so. Really what she gave her was some sort of chew- chewable vitamin that you give kids. Now, that's oh. the other thing. She suddenly becomes morphine. Take this pill, and you'll see just how far the rabbit hole goes, you know, with the Ooh. blue pill. Yeah. What is it? The red one, uh, you, you could start. One pill makes you stay as you are, and the other pill shows you the truth. And there's mm. a touch of the matrix there that only she takes the pill after she finds out the truth. I was going to say, yeah, I love back the way to she, front. Yeah, I love the way she puts it in her mouth and uh, uh, Commodore Roy Orbson has to tell her, you have to chew it. I thought, that's very, very specific. Imagine that one in the mm. writer's room. She takes a pill. Yep, she has to chew it. All right, okay. Because mm. people only be saying that's a matrix if you just give her a pill. Okay. I'll, I'll make it triangular <laughs> as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Definitely think you're right. It's to stop them being sued. So following from that, they do a very quick uh, scene of jumping to the ship, and you see that they're basically they're panicking so they can't get away, can they? Um, and uh, Agnes is understandably, well, she th- uncharacteristically for them, because they don't have the information we have as viewers, she starts saying, look, let's just tell them where Picard and the weird uh, synth girl is. The they go after them, they're interested in us, and they're all kind of shocked by the fact she's basically sort of saying, I want out, can't handle this, it's too much, uh, I want to go mm-hmm. home. Um, yeah, she, she also makes a reference at that point as well to, um, she, she she could make a suggestion that probably end up in the belly of some beast, which was, again was another discovery reference because the whale-like character uh, is also in season one, 
that she refers to. Uh, you'll have to forgive me tonight because I've left my note in work that I usually have the names of stuff. And by fuck, I can't remember the name of anything. It was not written down in front of me. So apologies <laughs> for that, bro. But uh, it's going to be more vague than usual. So I'm just going to put the script developments around everything. But uh, Harry Mudd. <laughs> Harry Mudd tries in Discovery Season 1. He tries to capture the uh, the ship. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he he uh, hides in the belly of the space whale. Uh, the space whale. Uh, I just actually mentioned the space whale and the fact that, oh, you know her her idea they probably get them stuck with a space whale and oh, that's a bit strange and, and i also thought maybe it was a reference to the the big space slug in star wars a new hope where mm-hmm. han and leia are on the run and they, they go into this cavern in an asteroid and it turns out it's the belly of this big space slug but yeah she's completely hyper at this point and i the track the reason why they can't get away is because it's a tractor beam from the board cube and you're fucked mm-hmm. if one of those gets pulled off you because mm-hmm. every time you've seen it in TNG or Voyager, once those lock on, you ain't going nowhere. That's an extremely powerful I think Voyager got out of one one time by some fancy shenanigans, but can't remember quite what the details are there. <coughs> Excuse me. But um yeah, they they can't get away from it. Their wee ship's not powerful enough. I mean, you are correct that it takes a, jet, a huge sort of a well, I'm sort of going ahead, but it's quite a thing when you caught a, a bog tractor beam. Um, it, it's sort of like you know, game over, man. To quote, you know, to quote something else, game over, man, okay. game over. Uh, to go into the aliens first. Uh, oh, so yeah. we we jump from that onto the bog cube, and well, basically, shit's going down, isn't it? Because you've got the uh, you, you've got poor old Hugh. You've got all the people he he, he was helped. The the lovely, wonderful, uh, reclaimed Borg people, and the ever gorgeous and wonderful uh, Narissa is being a total and utter badass. Oh, she we we kind of like her. She's she's our favourite Dom. Yeah, but they kill all the name. I mean, it's pretty awful. They kill all the nameless. Borg people. That's a point because basically she's exerting her authority over uh, Hugh. Now we then cut to Narek. Now again, the problem Harry Treadway has got is he's got a kind face, so he's but he's trying to look like a badass at this point, where he gets into his little yes. ship. His little ship. And uh, no, those were quite nice actually. I like I like those wee fast speed ships there that kind of had a wee bit of a. Uh, some you know snow spear type feel to them. I thought they're called. I think they're called snakeheads. Nice mm. bit of equipment. But um, Narek, as we've now realised, is is the new Neelix because he likes them when they're three years old. <laughs> yeah, dirty bastard. <laughs> Anything that I mean, he probably would have wanked himself stupid over the Gem Hadar. They were only about three to seven years old. <laughs> What I do like though is when we cut back uh, to uh, to see Narissa, she shares the same disgust that we both have for the cube because <laughs> she refers oh, yes. to it, doesn't she? Says, I hate this disgusting place. And <laughs> <laughs> she really hates the XBs. I mean, dear love them. Yeah. She can't wait to, to have those poor lads shot. Uh, it's like she was putting down. As far as her, as far as she's concerned, she's putting down venom. A verm, yeah. not venom. Ben, Vermin. Venom. <laughs> Venom. Yeah, you know the guy who fights Spider-Man. Yeah, she's as far as she's concerned, she's doing that, and she really—I mean, 
per Hugh, it's only for the fact that he's a Federation citizen that he's protected. Mm. But as far as Nerys is concern, concerned, tickle me Elmo as fuck. Yeah. But she does make that comment, doesn't she? That basically the only reason we're keeping you alive is for a, 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 by the fact that it like go against treaties and create problems. Um, and of course, yeah, she's... She, this is again sort of goes back to what I was saying last time, where it would have been so much more interesting if she had been the character, because she's such a dark character. If she'd been the character that had been seducing, um, her name escapes me, the the, uh, the sister, rather than Narek. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, this episode to me feels like they're just trying to give Narek something to do, basically. Uh, but not do much because they send him off in his little his little ship. Um, he's not even credited actually in the episode. Oh dear, maybe his time's nigh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as he's going to take his dodgy ears and bad hairstyle and probably stinky body, and just going to take him away. Whenever you're not credited in something, you do think. Does that mean that's the end of me? <laughs> they don't want me in, in the series anymore? Must have been a, a slight mistake on their part. Now, we cut to... Like, they're all happy and jumping around and really excited on the uh, the ship because they all think they've got away. Uh, but Rafi points out it's nothing to do with her and they basically allowed them to get loose to... Uh, to do stuff uh, and you get the that knowing look amongst the crew for what the hell's going on and then it jumps back to the ball uh, cube and Tickle Me Elnor has appeared I mean you made a really interesting observation last time which is how you know he manages to get on the ship with no real knowledge of we're assuming no real knowledge of the transporter system manages to somehow get himself in exactly the right spot now at the end of the episode with the last one finished he was in the hallway about to you know kick some ass with Hugh and suddenly he's managed to vanish and find somewhere safely to go to um and then he comes back and you really do feel for Hugh at this point because Hugh is a broken man. He's just, you know, all his friends have been killed and he's just sat on the floor looking, well, the reality. If I guess if anybody in reality was in this situation, you would sit and think, well, what can I do? His, his, his friends are literally in bits. No, yeah. I'll tell you what you could do with the board. Maybe you could maybe gather up bits and pieces of each one and you'd maybe have, instead of having 10 friends, you might end up with three. But there might be three really friends, you know. Just put them back together again. You're kind of like a super bog. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, whenever you stand on Lego, okay, apart from the fact it's very painful, but you can always put it back together again. Mm. That's true. I like it. See, that's what I like. <laughs> You've come with a positive attitude. But uh, Elnor speaks to the crew on the ship and basically says to them, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to help you. And the, um, they're sort of saying, you, you're, you're bonkers. You're an idiot. But Agnes um, sort of says, and you're brave. Now, I'm assuming Agnes just thinks he's going to get killed anyway. So um, it's a bit of a strange one on that, on that front. He's far prettier than he is, so he's she's probably just quite jealous. Mm. Well, he has got those cool eyebrows and the uh, the, the top knot that um, gives him obviously the idea is to make him look a bit like a samurai. Uh, yes, but a hipster but yes. samurai. You're right, yeah, hipster samurai. <laughs> <laughs> now we cut to uh, a, 
a very large rabbit, which I've just noticed. <laughs> and uh, yes, the one with the unicorn horn. Oh, I noticed that. It has a. It actually has a unicorn horn. Um, it's a, a bunny. That's what the bunny corn is that they refer to later on, because it's a bunny unicorn. I, I tell oh you yeah. Oh, yeah, forgot about. Oh, would have time with Deadpool. Bear in mind what Deadpool does to his unicorn. What he would do to a bunny rabbit. But I'll, I do love, so they've landed on the planet and coming over the hill is a hunter of some sort. Uh, and it turned out to be a child hunter, so we're obviously going for that Lord of the Flies vibe. I thought it was an Ewok when it first appeared over their eyes. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. Fucking Star Trek. <laughs> but this, the, the kid comes forward uh, and... You know, Picard, you know, Soji says, I thought this was a safe place to be in. I, I mean, I, I'll just love when Picard sort of prior to that, he says, well, if you're going to shoot me, you're going to have to shoot me in the head because if you shoot me in the heart, my heart's like made of solid metal. <laughs> Tit- well, That's duritanium, right. which is obviously titanium. That's because he was stabbed when he was in training that time by a couple of big lads. Uh, there was a fight over some game and he mm. was stabbed right from the back through into the front. Uh, in fact, there's an episode with Q where they go back and revisit that again. Picard can change his past. And it's the one where he and Q end up in bed together, which is just brilliant. You've got to check it out. It's, it's just I think, a brilliant episode. I think it was the final episode of Star Trek, actually, The Next Generation, um, where he gets to go through his entire... Is it Best of Both Worlds? He gets to visit his entire life. Um, what's the Best of Both Worlds? The Borg one. People will be screaming at their uh, the, the podcast at this point. Going, you've got it wrong again, you feckers. Yeah, answers on the postcard or answers through an email or whatever to whatever it is, but I'm pretty sure it's the last one. Uh, but we've digressed, we've gone back to the past. Stick them up oh. your arse. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit of abuse, sir. I had to throw it in. Well, it'll keep, it'll keep listeners happy the abuse. So, the, the cutting through the forest and um. I think we had a. a uh, it becomes apparent that uh, the the girl in question is called Kestra, and Picard knows her parents, which we will get to in a moment. And they're going through the forest and they're discussing uh, that Kestra is like some wild girl who runs around the woods, and Kestra is having a good combination with Soji, whereas Picard is stuck in the background. Um, now, I can't tell if this this was. This impressed me or annoyed me, but I'll, you know, Kestra has to make out. You know, I do all this this wild stuff going through the forest, uh, but I won't hurt anybody because I'm a pacifist. But I have arrows that are sharp. Now I can't look out if that's good that she's you know trying to be nice, or they're trying to make her into some sort of like PC, you know, let's save the planet sort of character. But that's just me. I could be wrong. I don't know. What do I you agree. think? Yes, yeah, she's a tad precocious. If she was a boy, she'd be called Tristan. And her parents yep. shout, no, no, darling. No, darling, don't be doing that now. Mommy needs her wine now. Go and sit down. Precocious. She's a total yeah. precocious brat. Kind of likeable, but she's a fucking pain in the arse. The type of kid who's nobody else around her, who's just allowed to go completely into her imagination, and her mum and dad just pander to her. And yeah, she, she says that uh, the, the bow... Yes, she her her arrows are real, but she's a pacifist. Mm. But then if if we skip ahead slightly, it turns out she had killed the bunny corn for food. <laughs> so not that much of a pacifist. 
No, unless the bunny corn are total bastards in that area and they need taken down every, every time because they're lethal. But apparently you can't eat some of their innards because it, it does make you very sick. But still, all the yep. same, I thought, you're a pacifist. I could not shoot a rabbit. Now, I shoot archery because I've seen there was mm. a couple of archery references actually with, with that girl because there was a bow in a scene later on and there are arrows. And I thought, all the years I've shot, I have, would never think about lifting my bow to another animal. Never. So I thought, you should be a bitch. <laughs> See, the feeling I got with Kestra is they were trying to go with a little bit of a, a Greta Thunberg edge, maybe. You know, loves the forest, etc., etc., wants to save the planet, that sort of thing. I just got that slight impression, but it could be me. But there was something that felt a little bit pandering with the character, a little bit too much right on. But I could be wrong. Um, no, I think that's a very good point. I just do a bit on him, to be honest. Mm. But I did think it was the, the the little girl who's playing her is a good actress. I think it, she's she's good in the role. But I found a very interesting thing here that when you know Picard is asked the question by her, who who is this person? What's the deal? You know a um, you know a father. And Picard pretty much straight away says, "Oh well, it's data." And the response, understandably, from uh, Kester is, "Wow, you're an android." Now you've got to think the emotional like punching the gut that I'd have on Soji because Soji's mm-hmm. having to process a load of information in a very short space of time. She's only found out she's recently she's th- only 37 months old. She then finds out and it's no fault of Picard because anybody would naturally speak like this. He mentions a sister in the past tense and has to explain she's died, which, hmm, it's a, it's a it's a it's a good little scene, but it's a looking at it from an emotional standpoint. We've seen, I think, in these the more the, this episode, and the last one, we've seen more of an actual examples of the emotional impact this would have on characters. But Soji comes back with a logical response. I feel, which is, well, none of this is real anyway. So I think it's like it's bullshit. Yes, because Nark had set her up. He had this whole narrative about who he was, who she was, and the importance that they had to had to each other and how he loved her. And that was a complete lie. So it, it makes sense that she would then take that forward and think, I'm just being used again here. Uh, these people are still lying to me. She might have, I mean, you could just imagine if you thought it was a lie, but then you go to a different planet. Okay, so she's, she's landed in this planet and Narak, she's just... She just left Narc or rather she went on the Narc who had made her feel that she was loved and had given her a whole story about uh, his feeling. Maybe she wasn't who she thought she was and walked her through her, um, you know, on, on the other planet when she's seen her dad. Suddenly yeah. she's landed on a brand new planet and this girl has recognised who she was. So maybe that would have thrown her back for a moment because that would have been, oh no, somebody else knows that I'm an android. Maybe this is correct before the protective bubble comes around her again and she thinks, no, no, we thought this before. It's all a lie. Mm. I don't trust Picard. She mentions that she doesn't trust Picard. She doesn't trust anybody, but she particularly doesn't trust Picard, which would have been hard for him actually to hear. Mm. But it's understandable from her point of view why she would why she'd feel she couldn't trust him. And you are right. And it's quite an interesting thing that I not really thought of until you said it, which is the fact that she was pretty much processing normally. Uh, 
it's a normal per you know, I was gonna say processing computer, isn't it? But well, I guess that's app for her. But she was she was acting normally when she's walking along talking to Kestra, uh without any well, as as you and I would say normally converse without a problem. Um although our conversation would be far more filthy and X rated. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah. well, yeah. No fucking doubt about it at all. <laughs> But we would converse with that problem, and you're right. She sort of bounces straight back from that to going, "Oh shit, this this could just be a complete lie." So we go to. I mean, this is to me, this is where the the episode just becomes wonderful. So we cut across over a top. It's a little house on the prairie, or in this case, little wooden cabin on the prairie. And Kestra's mum comes out, and who is Kestra's mum? But the one and only Deanna Troy. Ew. And I have to say, congratulations, Deanna. You're out in the middle of nowhere. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Let's do a comparison here. Deanna comes out. Makeup's beautiful. Hair's lovely and coiffed. Lovely clothes. I yeah. come out. I'm covered in paint because chances are I've been probably painting something up. Garage, spraying some props. My hair's not brushed. I've not a scrap of makeup on. I've got jeans that are covered in paint and a, and a top and some dodgy looking trainers on. So I have to say congratulations to the woman because she still looks after herself even when there's nobody about. And she has wonderfully immaculately clean gardening gloves. Yes, but like often whenever you see mechanics on programs, not nobody's covered in any any muck or anything. <laughs> Slight di- diversion here. Uh, if you ever watch The Professionals at, at dinner time, it's usually on when I come home, and they, they do a thing for trustatrader.com in the intervals, and all these tradesmen are standing around with beautiful immaculate overalls and T-shirts. Not a bit of paint every, anywhere. Deanna's the same. She maybe just, maybe she somehow talks to the plants, doesn't actually poke at them, but she puts the garden <laughs> gloves on just to make it. She's one with the countryside. Yeah, because she can't actually see she's not going to be able to touch the plants and cause them any kind of physical pain because she, she will feel their pain as an empath. <laughs> he will be screaming at her, it don't hurt me! Oh, fuck you, bitch! The inhumanity of it all. Those poor tomatoes. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just really nice to see her greeting Picard again. And she's sort of saying, now... Going back to that, my my question is, she, she sort of says to him, how much mess are you in? She's obviously happy to see him, but she says, how bad are things? And he's sort of saying, they're terrible. But what I wonder is, can she tell Picard's mental, you know, because he, he's unwell, isn't he? He's got a, 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 an illness that's deteriorating his mental functions. Could she feel that or sense that, do you think? Oh, that's a good, that's a good point. I don't know whether the person has to be thinking about it for her to sense it and it be in his background emotions or whether she'd just be picking up on the fact that he's had to run for his life. And there's still that emotional turmoil going through him because he's he's effectively got a grumpy teenager that won't listen to him now in tow in the, in the form of Suji. So mm. I, I, don't, I don't honestly know. Uh, here, here we go. Slight diversion here again. Another conspiracy theory. Someone had suggested to me, is it not possible that the Borg will fix will fix Picard's brain problem at some point? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, it is, it is possible. I mean, it's just the way she sort of like looks and touches his face when she's turned to him. I wonder if she could tell about his deteriorating brain function. Because um, he don't Ooh, know. I mean, yeah. 
It was just a, th- a feeling I got. Now, I will personally say uh, for the listeners and for you, Joanne, as my co-host on these, I'm sorry I failed because I called this really badly. I called this to be the last episode, you know, to be the final episode where we would see the the the, uh, the Rikers introduced. So I did call it wrong, but I will say I'm enjoying it. Now, it cuts then to Kestra, which is something we've already seen, which we actually saw a lot in the trailers for the show, but Kestra's shouting, Dad, Dad, you know, and he's going, why are you yelling? And you get the, the wonderful shot of uh, Riker in the kitchen. Uh, oh, yeah. uh-huh. now, What's he doing? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yep. he's grating Go cheese. He's yes! Yeah. Jeez, he's as involved again in the series. We fucking caught... Well, you called it from episode one when we reviewed. You said there's going to be cheese and there's cheese. X-rated cheese or X-rated Yeah. Fucking cheese. Well, I screamed when I watched it that night and I was about to message you right away and I thought, what happens if you haven't seen it yet? And I and I texted Cheese, and I didn't want to spoil any of it for you. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. He's grating Cheese. More farts and stinks. No wonder they live out in the forest. Yep. <laughs> well, the cheese in question, I bet it's, it's, a, it's a hard cheese, isn't it? I think it's probably something like, uh, uh, it's, I can't think what it'd be off the top of my head. It's an Italian one, I'm sure. Um, but so, yeah, I may have been wrong on the exact order. But I am right on the cheese. Yeah. The nightmares going on in that house must be frightening. Again, here's another episode with no number one, the dog. Number one, the dog, along with number one, would have been wonderful. It would have been a lot of fucking, but it would have still been very good to see. Dry humping off and fun on both characters. Yeah, but I don't think Troy deserves the sort of chaos of two number ones trying to hump things in the house. Like, you know, mad. <laughs> no. yeah, to spray. She wouldn't have had she, She'd be spraying her husband with a water bottle, never mind the dog. Oh, dear. No, he, uh, it was so good to see Riker uh, because he knows right away, too, as well. As, as, as overjoyed as he is to see his old friend, he knows his old friend is in the shit again. Because Riker was always there to look after him. And uh, whenever he says that there was problems, and uh, he even says to Riker, or sorry, Riker says to Picard after that incident with, you know, the supernova, I knew you'd be you'd be ass deep in Romulans. Well, now, I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought about when they said ass deep in Romulans, I automatically thought of Nerissa. How lovely it would be ass deep in that particular. Hell yes. Hell yes, that was oh, yeah. very similar to the thought I had. Um, but for me, Shades I mean, I just yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just love having Riker back. Um, I, I find the whole character Riker, I just like him a lot. I think to me, he reminds me a lot of my dad. He looks like uh, my dad looks less like him now, though there is the similarity. But my dad, when he was younger, when the when Picard uh, sorry, when Riker was in the series, there was definitely a similarity there. You know, when he started the dark hair and the dark beard. Um, but, yeah, I, I see a lot of similarities with Riker and my dad, certainly when you see him as a father now. So that's pretty why I sort of feel a real love for this, the, for him, for seeing him like this. But 
And he cooks, which is also something that reminds me that my dad's a very good cook. But enough hero worship of Riker and my dad. Let's get back to the... No, I think that's fair enough, Happy. Because Riker, Riker ha- has cooked before. It's the thing. He loves to play the trombone. Um, he does. Can't help but think of the euphemism, but trombone also means. And uh, he, he loves to cook. He actually, he there was an episode in Enterprise. Yes, there was. Yeah, a program. Do you remember uh, just to see what had happened at a particular time to uh, Captain Archer's crew? And he's cooking. He he pretends to be the chef in yes. that particular uh, on the um, what do you call it? The bit where they go in and pretend shit. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be one of these nights. Uh, oh, sweet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that was him. He was in that, as was uh, Troy. You were both in it, weren't they? Because it was set in a past... It was supposed to be in an episode of Next Gen where he was um, trying to resolve a problem with, with uh, Picard. But you get to see the closeness of the relationship between... Well, the Riker had... Uh, the the Rikers, sorry, and Picard had because you cut to the the um, to Soji and the daughter discussing the fact that you know my dad said that Picard was like the greatest captain ever, but they're reflecting on the fact also that Soji is a uh, an android and she's asking the questions um, and she starts saying, well, how can you have like mucus and saliva in these human a- these human aspects? It's it's the sort of thing Data might do because she knows about Data through her parents, but it also seems such an odd thing. Um, I mean, the entire house they live in, interesting to me, looks like one giant fire trap because everything's made out of wood. <laughs> and they're in a forest. Yes, yeah. there's no health there at all. Yeah, you would think, right, that I suppose if you're in a clean, gleaming ship, that anything with a bit of wood, it was very 1950s, really, I thought the whole. The whole place didn't didn't scream of anything futuristic at all. It, it, it didn't. I mean, Olmstead. Yeah, it was also like 1950s, all like that weird wooden panelling that was in in the 1970s. Um, but again, beauty you see board. the. Pardon, sorry. I think it was called beauty board. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 I remember my grandparents having it. And it was a big thing, like, but I mean, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it, if I'm really honest. There's wood everywhere. But, no. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the problem you have is that, you know, understandably, Sophie's very upset. But I think it's an interesting point that as a child, if somebody was in front of me when I was a child who was like, actually, I'm a, like a robot, I'd be like, that person's so cool, <laughs> which is what the daughter's yeah. like as well isn't she yes and she's delighted as well because during the conversation she's asking her you know can you play the violin do you like Sherlock Holmes all the things that oh, Data yeah. was into but she realises as well that because Soji's only three years three and a half years old <laughs> is actually older than she is so she says she's the boss now Kester yeah, I... is named after Troy's older sister that goes missing uh, Troy didn't realise she had an older sister until much later in life because uh, L- Lux oh gosh I can't get Lux- oh, Lux- her Luxana. Lux- Luxana. Yes, that- yeah. Um she has an emotional breakdown and whenever Troy counsels her mom it turns out that Luxana or Luxwana whatever the fuck you call her she um, 
she had had a daughter that went missing whenever Troy was extremely young and uh, she never told Troy about it. But it was it was common to like that her mum was having kind of like PTSD type flashbacks and 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 uh, having very difficult having a difficult time with the memories at that point. So Kestra is actually named after Troy's older sister, and which I thought was quite a nice wee touch. Hmm. See, I didn't remember that, but I do now that you've said it. Remember the episode where Luxana goes a bit uh, goes a bit off the deep end. Um, yeah, who was she was played by Major uh, Major Barrett, wasn't she? Jean Roanbury's wife. She was a pretty cool character, yeah. actually. She was wonderful. She also played in the in the pilot. She played number one. She did, and she and was, was also a bit of a kickoff. Yeah. Yes, the nurse. What's her face? Chapel. She was Nurse Chapel, and the voice That's of the computer. It. Voice of the computer in the next gen as well. She was just. She was just an, an amazing woman. Um, I loved her number one because I watched the pilot last year mm. and I thought she was an amazing number one. The studio didn't like having a, a number one. So in fact, Ethan Pike says in the episode, I find it strange have, having a female on the bridge. And yet whenever you go into Discovery and Pike, it piece all, oh, how's it going? And everybody's equal. Never mind his misogynist <laughs> attitude that he had. <laughs> Although she was a good, there's a great meme going about you know, showing that him saying that before as the previous bike, and I'm going, I, I don't think that way anymore. <laughs> but yes, <Yeah>. she, <laughs> character, <laughs> she's always trying to hump everybody, which I loved about her. Didn't matter. She's trying, always trying to get naked, get married, get naked, and have sex. Hey, there are worse things that can happen. Um, so Picard is. <laughs> is, is, is Picard is being shown to his room. Well, it's the room that turns out, and it's this is quite a bum is the wrong word, but it's quite an emotional thing. It turns out that the, the Reich has had a child, a uh, son, who died when he was uh, 18, and that's the room Picard's going to be in. And he's talking to Troy about this, saying that, you know, how difficult things must be for them. Um, and you can see that still understandably has a, a huge emotional impact on Troy, but she's so she does the the thing of anyone that anyone does when they're in difficult situations. She tries to change the the narrative and says to Picard, like, we'd love to see you here, it's great. And he's basically saying, uh, I can't put any of you people at risk. I will be here for a short period of time and then I will I'll get out of here. I'll be gone. Um I did like the fact that we got to see a picture of their little boy as a baby with um Picard on a really what I think was a not so well photoshopped image if I'm honest um, <laughs> it was terrible wasn't it that's uh, Thaddeus you called the son what had happened yes. actually was he died a bit before that and his 18th birthday would have been very recently so yes, he died yeah. when he oh yeah when he was a bit younger I'm not quite sure exactly when but he died of some disease it happened after the, the Utopia, Utopia Planitia um, incident because they were able to use some sort of AI type antibiotic or antibiotic research before then. But once all the AIs were all the, all the research uh, was banned, they actually couldn't they couldn't get the treatment that the son needed. So he ended up. Yeah. Dead. I, I, there was a tie-in actually to what was the background of this this story? The fact that the plant plantasia utopia. 
the incident that happened then has had massive ramifications, even down to the, the death of a child, because they couldn't get the treatment that they needed because research was banned. Yeah, because they're saying his illness, we're jumping ahead, but they said his illness was silicone, a silicone-based problem. Now, in this moment of emotional re, uh, discussion where they're saying silicone-based, terribly, all I could think of was the episode of The Simpsons with the alien, the X-Files crossover, when Homer is asked the question, it was the uh, the creature silicone-based? And he goes, yeah, that one, xylophone. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking of the stuff that you see in bathrooms with. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, technically, you're not that wrong. It's all, it is silicon. <laughs> just standing there with a big plunger of silicon from B&Q. What's the problem? That will just seal up every hole. And if you survive that, you'll be grand. Yeah, just drink some of this out the uh, plunger thing. You'll be fine. <laughs> and do you want it in white or maybe brown? You know, because they've got silicone around the brown PVC here at home. You know, and the well, thinking well, about it, as, of colours there as well. Well, thinking about you know, because we were just saying how like the little house in the prairie hut thing, whatever they're living in, um, looks it, like it could be fifties or seventies. I've had a terrible, scary thought. I know the you see uh, Soji having a shower outside. I reckon. I, have, I just said I actually have problems with that scene with Soji in the shower. Right. Uh, that was. That shower was designed by Neelix. Because you see, when you come down the stairs that are beside the shower, you could look in and fully see the person that's taking a shower. Really? I've not noticed that. Why did? I thought there's a shower for perverts. A, it's outside. But weird. I mean, come on now, this is the 20, 21st century and you're telling me there's no indoor plumbing for a, for a shower. And B, you can actually walk down the steps that run run down the outside of the house and you can look over and see. And I thought, Perverts. The Rikers saw swingers. One thing I did notice, interestingly, when you uh, during the shower thing is you see the feet and you see obviously blood, which I had not noticed until I rewatched it. So she must have hurt herself at some point because you see blood coming off one of her legs. But it was also a thing that occurred to me when I rewatched it when she was walking with uh, the the daughter having the normal conversation. The poor woman had no shoes, did she? Because she removed her shoes when she was on the cube. So probably we've seen a bit of blood. Maybe your feet were all cut to, you know, ribbons. I forgot about that. In fairness, she was up in the artifact for a long period of time. Not sure how many showers they would have had. This could have been her first shower in three years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Think about it. Because the artifact, as we said last time, is like some dank, disgusting student accommodation where it's just sex, sex, sex and sweat. And <laughs> uh, probably a lot of narrow to actually scrape off. Maybe that's why the centre outside, because she was um, she was a hazard, just a biohazard. <laughs> she couldn't have a shower inside the house. Yeah, you're, you're right. They might have hugged her and been like, something smells weird. <laughs> Some smells but Mike, what the hell? Ooh, yeah. ooh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, animals howling, stuff like that going on. In fact, speaking of <laughs> Narek, we got to see him with his little his little shit playing with his little thing, you know, his little pathetic um Rubik's Cube thing where he sat in the ship because they got it cuts back to the ship, the the spaceship are an intrepid crew. And they're sort of saying, right, we're gonna overshoot, we're gonna like hit wall, we're gonna overshoot, and he won't be able to 
to work out where we've gone. And I think the idea is that he will overshoot them, won't he? Um, mm-hmm. And they'll yeah, be and left maybe standing. Far down the, yeah, he'll be so far down the road that he'll not be able to work out where they stop in comparison to himself. Now, at this point, to be honest, the crew looked a bit, well, buggered, if I'm honest. I mean, the only one who sort of looked a bit more presentable was the captain. But Rafi, of course, it has just occurred to me that Rafi was actually probably still feeling a bit rough and hungover because she looked like she just got out of bed, uh, wrapped up in some weird, I don't know what she was wearing, some sort of like big coat. But um, Agnes then steps in again. And you can tell that Agnes is, well, what Agnes is suffering from really at this point is extreme guilt, I suspect. Um, and she's getting mm-hmm. antsy because she sort of says, do, do we want to go there? Do we want to go and see these people? And they're like, well, we've got to pick up Picard and, and the, um, the uh, you know, and Soji, but obviously they don't really know much on Soji at that point. And the point that Rafi makes, she starts saying, well, when I saw you, you were really up for this. You know, you were uh, there at Picard's house wearing your little coat and uh, wanting to to go ahead into space and feeling great about yourself and thinking it'd all be fun. And now you're like the polar opposite. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, she's just completely, Rafi's off her tips at this point again. She's just, just taken away on her, on her vape. And uh, she can just be, Gerard, Agnes falling apart. She really can. Is this the scene where uh, she decides to hook Agnes up with something? Uh, I think we're starting to get there because at this point, uh, I mean, we can go to that, but like the point that's been made to Agnes is, yeah, yeah, we are, we're getting there. Because like Captain sort of saying, look, you know, uh, these people gave me their money, you know, I we owed them, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. I, I was laughing, and we got to it now. She said, "Do you want me to hook you up with something, Auntie Agnes?" Yes. Uh, so Auntie Raphael hook you up with something, Agnes, and. It's that, and I know you hate Agnes, but it's that moment when she looks sweetly and goes, will it be cake? (laughs) (laughs) Rafi is gutted because she thought there's a chance there to relive Trainspotting again. I mean, really, Trainspotting (laughs) has reappeared a few times in this. There's Rafi getting high in her room, and there's also Tickle Me Elmo, who who tells us, choose life. (laughs) But every time, yeah, I keep thinking of you and McGregor, and all I can hear in my head is choose life. <laughs> and I'm waiting for him to come, choose televisions, choose whatever it is after he says it. But uh, yeah, so Rafi's delighted. She thinks, great, I have an excuse here to, to shoot one up because this mad vent here beside me. And it's the first time she's actually thought Agnes is all right because she's a stoner like I will, or I'll make her a stoner. But she chooses cake. And I thought, what's going to happen is you're going to go into the back there. And Rafi is going to give you brownie full of marijuana and you're going to get so shit-faced that you'll shut up just for once. But no, cake. She wants cake. Turns out to be red velvet cake, but it's cake. Now, don't get me wrong, I love cake, but I think if Rafi's going to offer you something, good idea to take it just to see what experience you're going to have. You might not live through it. It would be interesting. Yeah, you... (laughs) You're probably unconscious after the first mouthful. <laughs> she'd be seeing Bruce Maddox all over again. She'd be, oh. she'd be. I'm not convinced actually that Hot Captain O or Commander O hadn't actually slipped something into her sushi. I'm just thinking about it to start off with too. 
<laughs> you may be right, actually. What if this is all just like, you know, you know how, I mean, I've, I'm going to be honest with you, John. I've got to be really honest. I am a little doubting my abilities because I've sort of placed a foot wrong on this episode. So I'm hoping if I've got the, the cheese, uh, the cheese conspiracy right, that I will still be correct. But what a thing it'd be if it turned out that this is all like Agnes's weird, uh, or, or Rafi's weird, like, you know, fevered morphine dream, so to speak. <laughs> that would be so good. That would be, I mean, I think just following Rafi right when she's stoned, or put it this way, following the actress who's Rafi pretending to be stoned, starting at the hang of it a wee bit more, starting to become slightly she more is. believable. Yeah, but before it was like, oh, this is what they did in train spotting. I'll try and emulate that unsuccessfully. But I think she start she just seems a wee bit more comfortable in the character. I think of the three of them actually, she's maybe going to become the better character. Agnes is always going to be the ditzy blonde that gets on my tits. Um <laughs> same as Rios and he dances on the sand is always going to be a, a very, very bad hand solo. But mm. Agnes or rather Rafi might she might become something. She might become something interesting. You might take it to the full Mel Gibson and start dislocating her shoulder every so often, and that would just be a joy to work. <laughs> yeah, that that I would actually like if she wakes up and she's there. <laughs> In fact, really, they've 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 missed a step if she goes the full Mel Gibson is. We need number one because Mel, ha- you know, Riggs in Lethal Weapon has dogs, doesn't he? That's where they missed a step. They missed a step. It did, because Riker would be perfect for saying, I'm too old for this shit, because really by now, Riker is too old for this shit. It's a bit hard on, what, Riker or Picard? <laughs> That's true. Well, here, I mean, as we said earlier, this this virus, just as well it's in the, the 21st century and not the 24th, because it would just, it would blow through the Troys, yeah. or not the Troys, uh, the Rikers and for Picard because of the age they are now, and then they have that precocious brat run around the forest. In fact, body corn. Mm. I'm seeing a conspiracy theory here that if it starts up again in the 24th century, it's eating fucking bunny corn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah. Like all the weird shit they were eating in the Wuhan province in China. And uh, <laughs> the, the, it, was a wet, it came from a wet market. And it's perfect setting out there. They're on a strange planet. They're eating weird shit. I wonder, actually, I just remembered something. If the planet is so good and has restorative powers, they should really beam Rafi down there because she could grow some great shit. The poppies, mm. poppy fields she could have down there and the marijuana plants. Yeah. And whatever else. Whatever else it is you have to grow to make a drug because I want to clue. It'd be perfect well, for that planet. The well, would be brilliant for it. If you think about it, Rafi smokes like basically like those weird like I think of the yellow or white plants. So you're right. In fact, what will happen? Season two is going to be nothing towards that. It could if we follow our plan. If they have her growing, it could be her just tending the entire weed farm. Oh, it'd be great! And then the theme tune would be "Lost for Life" by Iggy Pop. Yeah. And if you think about it, right, uh, Picard. Sorry, well. You could have Riker, Picard, and Rafi all growing because Picard's going to know his stuff from growing the uh, the vines on his chateau. Yes, this is season mm-hmm. two. We don't need space travel; we just need drug growing. Yes, but you could you could just put it on the auspices. Oh, I don't know what you call this new vineyard. It would. Uh, I have to have an idea now for what what Picard, Rafi, and Riker's 
vineyard would be called? Well, you'd have tomatoes on it and you'd have wine and you'd have that snake leaf stuff that she smokes. You wouldn't need to go anywhere. I mean, who right. doesn't need tomato and, and uh, drugs and wine? You probably come out in a lot of spots, though, without just acidic tomatoes. That's the only thing. <laughs> well, they, they could be reasonably safe because Reich has got, like, all the uh, shields and stuff on his house. And if you want someone who's going to be, like, your little dealer going around selling the stuff or, or delivering the packages, you've got Kestra, because I'm sure she'd be pretty good on doing that. And just uh, to as an enforcer, you could have that. You know how in the episode when we saw the uh, the captain dressed as a pimp? Yes. Him with his pimp hand. Yep. Exactly. Get him down there. His pimp hand is strong. <laughs> yep. Bitches owe me money. Yeah, and then they could run a brothel there as well. Okay, maybe I'm just taking this too far. No, no, I, I like you thinking. They can run a brothel. Yep. So he's running a brothel. I, who's he? Who's he pimping yep. out? I think it would have to be Agnes, because that's the only one that seems to be. Well, Rafi's more of a businesswoman because she's growing her shit. Uh, so it would have true. to be Agnes. Now, Agnes doesn't really care what age they are because we've seen that she'll do Maddox. She does. She does the much younger Rios. So she has a she has a good range, I suppose. I'm not convinced. Well, what the fuck she did to uh, Commander O when they're right there? Could have been. Anything? To be fair with Agnes, to be fair with Agnes, what will happen is, and you hit on this earlier, they're going to get hooked. I mean, think about it. We've got whole prostitution thing working perfectly. Drugs, the pimp. You get Agnes hooked on shit, so she gets dependent. It writes yes. itself. And do you know? Do you know what this series is actually missing? Klingons and their two penises. <laughs> well. I'm sure it's a, surely the Klingons will appear at some point. So, yeah, I think we bring the Klingons in. Oh, man. So, basically, we've got intergalactic space pimping drug dealers. Series 2, you've written it yourself. Or we've yeah. written it ourselves. Again, CBS, you need to go. You don't need to go too far. I was watching Will's Ready Room there from the other day. Very good this week, by the way, because um, Data and Riker are both on it. Great interview with the two, the two actors. But I could just see Will Wheaton having us on. For a wee interview, there it would be on Twitter and wherever else it's shown, and we would be talking about all this stuff. <laughs> it would. And how did you come up with these ideas? Well, we were doing this podcast, and uh, it was pretty <laughs> most of the time, but we were inspired, you know, as well, and uh, came up with this brilliant storyline. Oh, it's like no other Star Trek I've ever seen before. Says, well, we'll go. Yes, fucking right. It's never like anything you're ever going to see. <laughs> It's just so filthy, fueled by coffee. And, <laughs> and, uh, and whenever the tech's working, it's even better. So I'm glad actually you're here so far. <laughs> we have been a wee bit crackly, but we're... Uh, oh, no. uh, such is. <laughs> You've got the great scene of Picard and Riker, uh, well, they're just discussing food and how dangerous the situation is and how... Um, well, the point that I think Riker makes to him is that you always sort of want to be in control of things, but you're going to be challenged by the hardest thing ever, which is looking after a teenager, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all good because, you know, she now has shoes, um, <laughs> which is one thing that's been improved upon. She's not a real woman. She would have more than one pair of shoes. Or is that for a sexist statement? I, I couldn't 
I couldn't possibly comment, you know, Joanne. I, I couldn't say anything about that. I'll just stay quiet. <laughs> but Soji has managed to learn, like, this entire... Well, backtracking, uh, Kestra speaks some sort of strange made-up language that was made up by a brother uh, who strangely has that real American thing of being... When you see one of his uh, uh, awards that he's won, he isn't just called Riker. He has to be called, you know... Troy Riker on a double barrel thing. But, you know, that's by the by. That's just an observation I made that I found a bit strange. So she sort of says she's managed to learn this entire language in like, what is it, like two minutes or something? You know, some ridiculous thing. Yes. It's called a Vivine. Yes. It's the, the forest or something like that. And he had written, it was 300 pages, and Soji was able to memorize it in, the, in a matter of minutes. So the two of them are able to, to converse freely because Thaddeus, the son, who I, always, oh, I can imagine him was another precocious brat, like his sister Kestra, had done something like 11, he had written out 11 languages. So he must have been a, a child genius. I mean, that's the thing. They're probably, you know, when you say they're a bit precocious, I'm going to guess they were prodigies. So they're, um, they're they, you know, they, they've, they've probably been uh a tadadoy, but the, I think they're pretty nice children. At least they're not like nasty, you know, with it. Um, but I love. No, I, I, I was just going to say, I would have loved to have thought that they were prodigies, you know, going around the forest. Firestarter would have made a great song for that house. <laughs> yeah, terrifying, but a great song for the house. <laughs> but I love this little thing that I, I don't know if anybody else would pick up on it. But Riker does, he picks up it brilliantly because he, he, he mentions his surprise that she's managed to pick up the language and he's watching her and um, she looks at what they're going to be eating because he's suddenly doing too much and she's looking at the food and then she does the head tilt and I just loved it. I think it was brilliant because you see Riker, he looks and you see a moment of surprise and all he does is this smile, doesn't he? He introduces himself and so I'm Kester's dad, you know, Will, and they have a chat. And then, um, what well, something now, you're going to pray laugh at me, but th- this is the only real niggle that annoyed me in the episode, really annoyed me. And I don't, it shouldn't <laughs> have annoyed me. But he introduced Riker as a commander. You know, I never even noticed that. Now, I know it's pathetically nerdy of me, but he says this is Commander Riker. We served on the Enterprise. Well, Riker wasn't a commander by the end of it. He was a captain. Uh, and in later in later books, as I understand it, he was an admiral. But they may not be canon, but he was definitely a captain by canon. And I find it strange. But then, to be fair, later on, he refers to, he calls um, Picard captain. They don't call him admiral. So unless it's just him taking the things uh, in, he was commander on the ship with me. Bit of nostalgia possibly there. Just falling back to the, the old times. Also whenever you get to that age, it's it's like almost like an endearment or maybe it's just reminding Riker that he that he's never gonna be Picard. I don't know, maybe there'll be a bit of friendly rivalry there. Um, although the, it probably, the more I look at it, probably was maybe just a nostalgia thing. Um, saying, you know, he was a commander when I worked with him. Maybe a bit of a friendly flashback. But then, sort of, I love how Riker says, well, you're not going to tell me anything, are you? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of, like, 
run by everything that's happened. That I, and it's just me hypothesizing, but he obviously gets it completely right. And he even says, I recognize that she's Data's child, sort of thing. I can see Data, the head tilt. Nobody else would do the head tilt but someone who's related to her uh, data and then there's just that there, there's a little bit of friendliness i guess because he says that wasn't bad for a pizza chef <laughs> yeah actually they look quite nice pizzas those too no there, there wasn't an awful lot to them i would have liked a bit more mushroom on it and a bit massive big bits of tomato but a lot more to it on that pizza but but you will get the strange rabbit in a bit anyway. Um, but well, I guess yeah. Again, talking about the the thing of uh, rank, he does. Oh, he says again, you're not a captain, so you're not a captain on your starship. You know, it's a bit different to 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 try and get a teenager to do what you want or to work the teenager is going to be more difficult than sort of um, being a captain. But yeah, you can see why they work so well together actually. They've got a friendship, but they've also got a good way of bouncing off each other. Um, and then you cut to a bit of an odd one, but tomatoes. <laughs> Just felt strange. Yes. I was trying to work out what the symbolism was there. Uh, it was, yeah, they were nice looking big tomatoes, but if somebody handed you a tomato and said, here, bite into that, that's not not a great introduction to any sort of fruit and vegetable for your first time. Give them a banana or a pineapple or something, but don't give them don't give them a tomato which squirts all over the place. And poor Susie hasn't had anything squirting all over her face since Narek left her. <laughs> but it's um it's an interesting little little point where well something I found interesting is Troy dis- Troy runs with an Americanism and she says tomato she doesn't say tomato, she says tomato. Which I thought was a bit odd, considering the fact that you know, uh, the fact that uh, God, I've gone blank on the name, but the lady who plays Troy is English. Mm-hmm. Is English, which I thought was a bit oh, of a strange. Uh, she's just yes, Marina Sirtis. Marina Sirtis. Uh, yeah, you think she would use English rather than Americanism, but anyway, it's just back to doing her strange accent again too. And you noticed as well, she she has a betazoid eyes. She's got the contacts in to make her eyes look black. Oh, I've not noticed that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's I do notice it. Ah, right. I mean, I do find it interesting looking at both her and, um, uh, uh, come on, brain, Patrick Stewart. You see them little words. You can see the Americanisms in the way they speak and little pronunciations of words they say. Um, just where the, you know, they, they, they fall from an English uh, um, pronunciation to American one. But hey, that's just me being very, very strange and very, very odd <laughs> noting these things. But they're discussing the fact that uh, Thad, or Thaddeus, um, Thad Thaddeus, whatever they want to call him, that he died because the impact of getting him from his synthetic life meant that what could have been used to sol- to save him um, in a very routine uh, uh, way has stopped that from being possible. Um, and 
Troy's trying to say, despite your view that maybe having food that's real is better, the reality is that sometimes you need something that's synthetic to to make things better, which then leads Soji into the thing where she's sort of saying, well, my entire life is synthetic. Everything I ever thought I knew was synthetic has been fake. You know, Narek said he loved me, but he's just turned out to be a complete shitbag. Yeah, an unwashed shitbag. Dear, dear lover, she is just, this is maybe the first genuine conversation she's had. She lets her guard down a wee bit with Diana, but then that's Diana's forte, really, is being a counsellor mm-hmm. and getting things off people. She actually, without realising it, couldn't have spoke to a better person mm. than, than Diana, probably, because she has lost a child because of something to do with synthetics, and so she is synthetic and has gone through ter- turmoil and Diana maybe sees her as, as just a little lost child that mm. that needs guidance. So it, it's it is quite a nice scene apart from the squirty tomorrow. Thinking back to an interesting point when Diana met, uh, sorry, excuse me, Diana met uh, met her. She met so she made the point. She said, um, "What well, what she said? She's very upset. She's very worried, but I can't like get a feel from her." Uh, yes, because she's a synthetic and she can't she can't read her emotions and she can't read her mind because yeah. like data she wouldn't generate that mm. sort of uh, firing of the neurons I suppose the same way as we would be. Mm-hmm. That was but a good thing. Quite useful that because it showed that yes, Suji's very very advanced because she has mu- mucus and everything that the that Kess mentioned earlier, but she doesn't have that bit in. She doesn't have the same sort of brain that uh, Bytesloid, like Diana, could could hold on to and and, and mm. poke around. And I mean, Picard's to, see. I, w- I want to see what you think of this. She so Soji's there saying, "I'm really upset. I'm you know all this could be bullshit. You'd be nice to me, but it could be a trap." Now Picard comes to her and says, "Oh yes, it's all a giant trap sort of thing. We want to kill you." Now he's trying to be a bit tongue in cheek. But I don't know. She does. The treating like what he did was really, really bad. But to me, he was trying. He wasn't levity. He was trying to say to her, well, "Why would we go to the effort of doing all this stuff to try and kill you? To hold you against your will to stop you?" Now, whether I saw this a bit differently, um, I, what, what's your take on that? I thought. I mean, she pushed them to the side. I thought yeah. she was a bit rough with him, perfectly honest. Yes, he said, well, uh, well, lucky enough, she did break me in two, but she needed a good kicking for that. Uh, mm. It was quite evident that the Picard was being was being jovial about it to try and lighten the situation. I thought her reaction was OTT. And poor Picard gets a bollocking, like, <laughs> from yeah. uh, from Diana and from Riker. And I'm thinking, hang on here. Right, um, Picard has actually known this young girl a wee bit longer than you have. Okay, it's only literally five minutes. But I think I think Suji is the one that needed shouted at, not Picard on that occasion. But you've got to think with Troy. Troy will give it to you straight. You know that's just something that be this. That's where she'd be useful to you. She she does sort of like she gives Picard. I, I mean, my argument against what you said is Picard. She gives like a bit of a mental shake to say we don't need you to be as you are now, being a bit brash and tough. We need you to be the human person you used to be. You know, to, to be able to reach out, because you've got to think, to be a captain, to be anybody, to be successful as a chief exec sort of thing, you've got to be able to get 
your people together and you've got to influence them and you've got to get them to buy into your vision. And that at that point, is something Picard probably wasn't doing enough with Soji, I would argue. So what he said to us, you need to be a bit, well, she says to me, you need to be Jean-Luc Picard, you know, that great thing of compassionate, well, I'm reading compassionate, passionate, and curious. But I love that comment of let's sit down at the dining room table and we'll treat it as, a, as the ready room. <laughs> yeah, that's just to bring him into something that he completely understands. Yeah. <laughs> Most CEOs and heads of anything are actually sociopaths who have who lack empathy and uh, don't take responsibility for their own actions. They're <laughs> 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 the CEO at that point. I've got to be honest, I only know a few really, really nice CEOs, so we'll leave. <laughs> you may be right. I'm thinking back to one of my old CEOs. Yeah, you may be so on the money. It's yeah, I'm thinking of a couple of my old bosses too. There's a really good book by John Ronson, who is just a fantastic author. He did. Uh, he was the author of uh, when men, no, Why Men Start Goats, something along that line. It was Hugh McGregor film, but uh, he did a really good one called The Sociopath Test, and it's fantastic, and by the time he gets to the end of the book, he's not actually sure whether he's answered his own question or not. Brilliant book. So it's the men. It's the men who. Is it the men who spoke, speak to goats? Or you know, the man who used to stare at goats? Is that what I'm thinking? That's it. Of? Yeah, the yeah. book's quite different now from the film, but I think Ewan plays the John Ronson character. But anytime you hear him on an any skeptic or science based podcast, he's he's fantastic. But do check out his books because he's really really good. Mm, I will have a look to it. So we've gone from the lovely, wonderful, you know, Riker, Troy Riker, whatever the hell they call themselves, family unit on the table, and we're back on the stinking, smelly Borg cube. Um, <laughs> but tickling oh, yeah. Elnor is Not there. Well, as is, yeah, as is you, and they're going, right, we're going to go to the Queen Room, whatever it was called, and we're going to, like, basically sort the problem out. Now, I was very interested at this point, because they're sort of saying the Queen, the, the, the room that the Queen would be in on each cube has some immense power in it, because he's sort of saying we're going to take the cube away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to take it away from the Romulans altogether. I don't know whether it's maybe that transportation device, or maybe there's some other defences in it as well, maybe some weaponry. But Nars is delighted to hear Hugh say, we're going to take it away from the Romulans, because that's that's a breach of the pact and an act of yeah. treason. So that just gives her carte blanche then to do away with Hugh. And she comes out of like the cool, you know, dry ice, steamy thing, whatever it is. So again, we're into like 90s music video territory at that point. <laughs> um, no, I've imagined her like, like a scene from Heart, you know, <laughs> But that's till now I only got by on my own. Uh, I can hear playing in the head now, but I won't play quick enough till I get to the fucking course. <laughs> when I get you alone, that's it. There's never coming out doing a high kick, whether whether bass guitar. <laughs> what I do love though. Speaking of Hugh McGregor though, he did his line again. You know, choose to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just. I, I thought before it was a wee bit like a come with me if you want to live, but it's not really. It's yeah. fucking you and McGregor and Trainspot. <laughs> but um, the basically, you know, she's going around. Uh, I just find myself even more attracted to her, to be honest, in this scene because she's she's looking really cold and cool and shooting people and kicking ass. Uh, and I did sort of get like with uh, Elnor at this point, I got a bit of a Batman vibe off him because he just seems to be able to like vanish and reappear. 
Uh, I know it's like a bit ninjutsu, but it also makes me just think of Batman, how he can sort of like appear and disappear. And they're like trying to shoot him while he's like running along the tops of build of the building. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably actually quite uh, Chinese and Japanese movies. Uh, no, some, a wee bit of Seven Samurai type stuff going on yes. there. Or you, Jimbo. You know, suddenly he appears with a sword and he can cut all around him and then moves away again very quickly. I mean, um, at this point as well, Nerissa mentions the fact that she's a uh, shit fart or shit far, and and how they would fight against his particular brand of nuns. She recognises his fighting style as yeah, Duda, <laughs> and uh, says this, this is how we would fight. And then she pulls a dirty move, an extremely dirty move. And she I pulls like two daggers. Yeah, sorry, what did you yeah. say? Well, I was just going to say, coming up, and I'm going to let you discuss this, but coming up to this part, when I saw it, I just really thought, oh, no, Joanne's not going to like this. Oh, it was a very sad moment. Out comes these two knives. She's a fucking cunning bitch. Like, she's sexy, but she's cunning. And she looks at one like she's going to throw it at Elmo. But the other the other knife goes out to the, the other small knife goes out to the side and hits you right in the neck. Yeah. And per just drops. Now, here's an interesting thing. He made a wee bit of a fuck-up in the scene just before that. She pokes his head round the corner to see how it's going before she hits him with the wee knife. And he's actually got it stuck in his neck in that particular scene. The thought is that they, they cut something wrong and they forgot that that was in his neck. So when he hits the floor, it's there. But yeah, it's one of those wee bits of... Remember like in New Hope where the, the TK, the stormtrooper, walks into the door frame and nobody noticed it? <laughs> until it went out to print that's pretty much the same with this There's Hugh unfortunately has the knife in his neck too soon but there's poor Hugh he's laying on the floor and he's bleeding out and Elmo can do nothing about it I don't think Elmo's really too doesn't know an awful lot in health and safety and first aid so I'm not even sure what you would do in that circumstance when somebody's got a blade stuck in their in their neck but Hugh gives us as we were talking about earlier he gives us wee eulogy which your dad would have mm. been brilliant to do at the time your dad could have given you <laughs> <laughs> and for Hugh, we, we lose Hugh, but he thanks yeah. Elmo for making him feel a hope, a hopeful. F- I don't think that would have been my words if I'd have been lying down there with a, a knife stuck out of my neck. It's not what would have gone through my head, but I think maybe Elmo had given Hugh a wee sense of hope that maybe they could get out of it and sort things out once and for all. But alas, it's not to be. Mm. I mean, you are right. It's a strange choice of words. A hopeful fool again to want to do to be that. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, my friend, but we then cut to the ship and the replicators have created a supposedly that's a red velvet cake. I don't look like any sort of red velvet cake I've ever seen before. No, if I hadn't read, read that it was red velvet cake, uh, it, it, it didn't look red. It looked black. I nearly thought it was Black Forest Gateau to start off with. But the well, greeny bitch apparently has three slices. Well, it's also, to me, the sheer amount of uh, white frosting on it. Because to me, isn't red velvet cake yet? Yeah, it is. There's white frosting, but no way there's that much, surely. There's, I mean, good God, that's a hell of a lot of cake, though. And chocolate. Oh, God. There was probably, I would say, anybody who watched that scene... Well, like yourself, who's watched it twice. No, you might have diabetes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, let's be honest. You've got Rafi smoking a ship, 
She's probably yeah. that's probably, we we think it's flowers. I'm starting to think she's on black tar if I'm honest. <laughs> Some sort of really strong Marlboro, you know, no filter cigarettes in the seventies. <laughs> black tar's black tar's heroin. <laughs> ah, you know more about these things than I do, sir. Yes, wow. well, she's definitely. I mean, just I reckon Rafi by now is probably run veins. <laughs> She's, sorry, sorry. You, you crackled at me then. She's what? Sorry. I, I think Rafi has actually run out of veins in her arms and her legs to shoot up. She's shot up between her toes, between her fingers. And now she's just she has to vape everything because her, her veins just won't support her. I've collapsed, yeah. Totally and utterly. But I mean, she's probably looking at Agnes thinking, you're eating cake. I could have given you some really good shit and you're fucking just... <laughs> Um, you want more milk? Or sorry, I just more chocolate milk. And she says, "Is that too much?" And Rafi says, "Not on planet Rafi. On planet Rafi, everybody's fucking stoned. They're not eating cake. Though sometimes, whenever you are stoned, you do get the munchies. So maybe, maybe Agnes had taken something at some point. This, this is the munchies we're actually seeing afterwards. That." You know, that make a lot, a lot of sense. But what I it love would, is that... Yeah, like, it would definitely be... <coughs> oh, look, I've coughed. <coughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Quick, isolate you for 14 days. Yeah, or 21. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what is happening is when Agnes is under extreme stress, Agnes has a, an out, which is she pukes everywhere. <laughs> the captain who's rushing on going we're in the shit he goes is that what she throws up he's like is that blood like no that's red velvet cake but clearly even yes, the emergency episode. sorry go on John I'm oh, sorry even the EMH is a bit horrified um, there's one episode and she's thrown up twice it's a bit yeah. like having a really bad dog or cat no he says not cat that throws up her balls continuously and a dog that keeps eating Whatever it finds when it's out for walkies and comes home and throws it up all over the place. Either one, some very small, annoying, furry thing. Like, I love all animals, but she's just definitely a small, annoying, furry thing. I think she's maybe part Ewok. That's maybe why I don't like her. But she does seem to eat and then throw up. Maybe maybe Agnes is bulimic. Who knows? It could be, we, we may be right. She might be bulimic. Or have you ever seen a film called Knives Out that's got Daniel nope, Craig in it? It's a very good film, but there's a character in that who's got an issue with uh, the truth and vomiting. So maybe they've lifted it from that storyline. Who can be sure? <laughs> well, Agnes, it's a wonder she's not throwing up continuously. Funny enough, she can't matter. No puking with murder, but uh, she's <laughs> sick puking. Whatever, she's had something to eat and she's stressed. Strange woman. Really she's strange. pregnant. Oh, gosh, I hope it's not... Um, uh, Rios is for his sake because that's one that you wouldn't want to be paying child maintenance to. Ooh, how cool would it see? Although my powers are a bit weaker this time, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I could be right. Maybe somebody's pregnant, but probably not. Um, and if she was pregnant, uh, as will become evident further in this episode, it's unlikely she'd be keeping that child um, because of something that happens fairly soon. So we cut to the little house on the prairie where they're all sat around a table. Uh, having dinner um, now if you think back to an early conversation we had about the fact that the, the Riker's house is a fire trap 
that table has so many candles on it, that is a fire risk. <laughs> Unless the sprinkler systems in the 24th century are really, really good. Maybe there's a smoke cloak drops down or something. <laughs> well, that would probably kill everybody. That's the only thing. Uh, at the first sight of a fire. Yeah, it's. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, very flammable. Again, in the forest and the fire, the the, the candles. I mean, for fuck's sake, people, it's the 24th century. They're living. They're they're. I mean, as I said before, I live out in the arse hole of nowhere. But I, apart from get Wi-Fi, we seem more civilized civilized out here than they do on their wee planet. But it's an int- I love this as a scene. I think this is really well done. I think it's really well uh, put together. Where Picard is trying to say to her, "You can trust me. Look at the way you know." Because he's asking us to use her, well, her cyborg abilities, isn't he? To say her android abilities, cyborg, whatever. To say, you know, listen to my heart rate. Look at my pupils, etc. I'm not somebody who's lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, I find it interesting that he says, "Listen to my heart," because. He hasn't even got a human heart. So. <laughs> Coming bastard. <laughs> That's true. Listen to my heart. Do you see the way it's going? Yeah. Like a two-stroke motorbike. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, God. If it's, what, you think his heart sounds like that frog thing? Please, God, no. <laughs> I didn't even thought of that. I was thinking about the 125 motorbikes that race and they're in the circuits near me over here in Northern Ireland. But I'm a biker. <laughs> yes, you're wondering, folks. And, but that's, yeah, the, the, I wonder if this is hard pistons or. Uh, anyway, I'm going to have to have to think about that sometime. What, what exactly goes on in that heart? What sort of valves there are? And, you know, it's, it, does he have a wee server in there? Is it electronic? You know, it's weird shit. What, you know, I'd wonder what happens if he gets an electric shock? What happens if he runs out of oil? That's true. Is he like? Well, I guess he's like a reverse version of the Tin Man. Because you think about it, the Tin Man wanted a human heart, was made out of metal. He's, you know, made out of flesh, but has a metal heart. Oh, yeah, and and then you have Soji who wants to be human, and Data who wanted to be human, and their 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 hearts are really, their hearts are big. So, yeah. Riker would make a great cardly line with that beard. <laughs> uh, and you've got number one, who is going to be Toto. Uh, I'm not sure who who, who could be uh, Dorothy then. I suppose it would have to be Diana. Yes. Oh, it could be. No, I actually reckon that to, to see, because this is what I think should happen, simply because I want to see what it does to you. Agnes could be Dorothy. Oh, fuck. Oh, what a waste of a good character. Only if Narissa can be the Wicked Witch of the North. Yes. Or the West. Wicked Witch of the West. Fly, my monkeys, fly. (laughs) Yeah, she would definitely have the flying monkeys. Possibly the Romulans have gone nuts. But they're going back to it, and it's quite, just going back to the scene, it's quite a, it's a nice scene, and what they're saying is that, uh, I mean, Riker does a very good thing. She steps in so goes, I've known this man for 35 years and to try and defend the fact that, you know, Picard is, is, is a loyal person. But they basically just try and learn more about him, about, sorry, Sojin, get to open up. And she discusses the planet with the, the moon, uh, the two moons that were mentioned in um, 
in her dreams. And, mm-hmm. you know, Riker says, well, maybe it's where Maddox was. And they're saying, well, we've got to find out where it is. Uh, and it does chime brilliantly with like what would be, I guess, a ready room scene on Star Trek The Next Generation where they'd be sat around discussing things, bouncing ideas of each other, like a management team. Um, but Soji's still an emotionally wrecked person at this point. She's coming a bit more out of a shell, but... You know, Kestra, the little girl, makes the point to that you've got somewhere to be, you've got a planet, you know, it's you have a home world and it's um it's something that, that goes down brilliantly. One little thing I just noticed now that I've not seen before is there's an interesting emotional response from Diana because Will looks at her. And she has like, she closes her eyes and it's a bit of almost pained expression, but I'm not sure what it is. Now, part of me wonders, is it meant to be like a a flashback to the relationship that the daughter had with the brother, maybe? Does it give them a memory of that? Is it something Mm -hmm. she's sensing? I think it was because... Kestra says she uses a word from the Vivine language, which Thaddeus the son had made up. And she, she said that he called the home planet Amphadius because he grew up on ships, was always obsessed with, with um, having his own home. But in the Vivine language, it's called Adrani. And ah. uh, yeah, and so Kestra says to Soji, You have your own Adrani. Or I think that's how it's pronounced, I'm not quite sure. But um, so I think maybe that was a case of that was a wee bit of a memory for 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 Troy, just the fact that there we go. There's there's still her dead son's language being used, and there's somebody who who has something that her son had always wanted. But it's, it's quite someone... yeah. No, I was just so going to could... say because oh, am I breaking up again? You did a little bit. So go on. What are you going to say? Sorry. I was just going to say, what I loved in that scene as well was the fact that um, Kestra's under the table, texting away. I love that. Completely oblivious to what else is going on in the table, texting away and you're thinking, second typical teenager. Not that I'm under talking to them on the phone. <laughs> well, I have that thought as well. What a teenager. But I yes, guess also, I guess also, this, the, you know, the Rikers, when they, they exchange that look, it's quite possible. I mean, I know Soji's meant to be in her twenties, but maybe it gives them another flashback to the fact that what their son could have been like, because he was coming up to being an adult, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty quite an emotional thing for them. Very, very sad. And it was recently too that he would have been eighteen. Yeah. But there we go. And we watch Kestra in that episode. We think fucking typical teenager. They're texting away, but she's actually doing a wee bit of research. And you're not aware of that until she says, I know what those red planets are. Because she'd contacted some local captain that Riker had dissed because I think he's, the boy sounds like maybe another washed up sort of ex-captain and better on the dodgy side. But he's actually recognised that the planets that um, Soji has has referenced doesn't have a name, but just has a number. As scientists are often want to do, they don't really like to name things. They just like to give things numbers, numbers and weird prefixes. But so I thought, yeah, good on you. You were quite an annoying character in some ways and just a bit of a precious one, but you had a very useful useful um, part to play because without her research, they actually wouldn't have known where Soji's homework was. 
That's true. I mean, they make the point out that the guy's old. They say he's even older than Picard, so God knows what age he must be. <laughs> but no, I was just going to say he's supposed to have gone from Kronos to somewhere else and uh, flown all these different places. And uh, so, so one of the places mentioned actually was in an old TNG episode, which is like a nightmare realm that Troy gets them out of in the end. So he's supposed to have been some great captain, but you don't know how much of it's him boasting about things that he's never actually done. Or well, he's just mm. senile because he's older than Picard. I mean, it'll be yeah, because they're sort of saying that you know he's not maybe he's not as great as he's supposed to be. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see if we see him in the next episode. I'll be very interested to see who plays him actually, if it's anyone that's sort of like an established actor sort of thing. Or will so we, we get to see him? Pardon, sorry. I'm just wondering, will we get to see him? Will he actually mm. appear? Possibly not, but it'd be interesting if it's some like really big name person. Um, but who knows? So we cut back to the ship, and uh, Agnes has got the cake sweat. Uh, she's not feeling too well, and the captain has taken her into the uh, into the um, uh, come on brain infirmary hospital, whatever you want to call it. And well, sick she's room. not looking at her best. Yeah, the sick room. Yeah, she's not looking at her best now. Sadly, but the when I first saw this, I was like, "You bitch! How have you managed to like, you know, plant doubt in the captain's mind, considering how long he's known this person?" But then I thought about it logically. If you think about it logically, because he says, "What if Rafi is the reason we're being um, followed?" And there is a logic to why I'd think that, because obviously she has vanished at some point. He went. She supposedly went to see her son, who you know, the captain knew nothing about. Whereas but, Agnes has been around, though. Yes, but still, it was a it made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, that I got could, that feeling. Yeah, that he could actually turn on Rafi. I thought, you wee witch, you've got inside that man's mind. It, 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 it took me out of it a bit because I thought I didn't believe that scene. I didn't, mm. It wasn't credible to me. Uh, I think they could have approached it in a different way, just... I can't understand how we're being followed. Is is it possible all of us is bugged? Have we eaten anything? Something like that. But to actually blame Rafi, especially after everything she's been through. And she told him in another scene that she had seen her son and he wanted nothing mm. to do with her. So he knew what was happening with Rafi down. He's the only one actually who knew what had happened to Rafi when she was down in Freak Cloud. And yet he turns his back on her for some for some bent that he's had sex. Some, some strumpet. <laughs> <laughs> but, Some part did, but part of me wondered could he also be trying to be a reverse psychology on Agnes I think he was thinking with his penis probably I mean I know when you said like you know the inside thing he's definitely been inside her you know the comment mm-hmm. of getting inside his head <laughs> now what I love oh, is well inside I, <laughs> Sorry, I'm, having a, I'm having a really bad back there what I love though is she now I, I'm convinced I'm right about this. So she goes to the replicator and starts telling it to do stuff. I am pretty sure looking at that, and any salty tadpoles who can tell me if I'm right or wrong, I am absolutely convinced that's a three D that is a, in reality a full three D printer. It, it doesn't like it. Yeah, it doesn't use the printy bit, but I am absolutely convinced that's a three D printer. <laughs> 
Well, I suppose in many ways, the 3D printers are almost replicators. They're yeah. very, very, very basic form of the replicator. I mean, they've used, used it up in the International Space Station to print parts. Um, has there not been an instance recently where they use one to print drugs? I know they printed guns. Mm, Yeah, that's been going on now a few years, but I think medicine was recently 3D printed. And that's what the hope then is that they could, uh, you know, it would be a matter of sending a prescription, I suppose, over the net and then being able to print the drugs out on the other side. So I think in many respects, replicators maybe are 3D printers. Yeah. I mean, mean, track has inspired so much the flip. Things like that. Yeah. The flip phone, stuff like that. I know they said that they're working on uh, a very crude version of a, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? The the thing, the, the the scanning thing they use for working out whether someone's ill or not um, yeah, on the show. Yeah, there was actually one of the um, Star Trek magazines last year sometime did a comparison against um, the, the, the medicine and the technology that has been inspired by Trek. And I forgot one of the full body scanners was mentioned in it. That's tr- you know that's true because you go to an airport, you get scanned. Mm-hmm. It's all coming. Well, I've got a book actually somewhere uh, that Shatner wrote, which was called out like you know, I think it's called We're Working on That, and it's like basically the idea of the stuff Star Trek had influenced. Um, so yeah, but I, 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 we come to this scene. I can only think. This scene made you really, 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 really happy, Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> I'm just sorry I wasn't the one that pulled the trigger in that one. That <laughs> was marvel. Because she shoots herself up with like, is it like some sort of metal? It, it's. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was some sort of like uh, whether it was in a green form of sedative. I'm not. I'm not honestly sure, but certainly it's enough to to knock her out. And I thought, why? How, how come it's taken seven fucking episodes before that woman hits the deck? I mean, it's taken, and it's taken it to do her herself. Nobody else has shot the mad bent yet. It's taken her to make up some concoction. See if she really wanted to get knocked out. She should have just let Rafi give her something. <laughs> Rafi's your cheap, bar- cheap beef pharmacist brother on that flight, on that ship. Rafi could have, she could have said to Rafi, look, I need something to put me in a coma. Rafi would have went here. Smoke a pile of that shit there. You'll not know if it's your feet, somebody else's feet, or, you know, it's your head. But it'll be much more pleasant than than possibly potentially killing yourself. Not that I'm against it. Killing yourself. But the EMH, I love the way he materialized. goes, oh shit. Well, he doesn't go, oh shit. But you get the impression he goes, what is the nature of your, ooh, <laughs> and he panics. Okay. Well, his exact response, I mean, I love the fact that he suddenly pop. I mean, is it weird? He'll pop up for this, but he doesn't do anything when Maddox is getting killed. <laughs> but he, he pops no, up. No, doesn't what record the fact the <laughs> He pops it's, up with, what's terrible. the nature of your, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> well, he yeah. has an English accent also. Um, yeah. But clearly, you know, Agnes is having a really, she's, Agnes has used, she's used too strong a whitening toothpaste. Well, here's the thing. I wondered that she actually shoot herself up with Ketracel White. But uh, <laughs> I think she Hadar earlier. <laughs> Maybe she got herself some Ketracel White. But there really... she is. There she is foaming at the mouth. 
you know, toothpaste everywhere. Uh, and it cuts back to our little slightly camp hero. Well, he's not the hero, actually, he's the bad guy in his ship uh, with his floppy emo hair. <laughs> uh, and he just basically yeah, can't find like- anything. Yeah, playing away in the cure, some emo stuff in the background, you know, because there have to be 80s, because he likes to be original, not ironic. And uh, yeah, or maybe Sisters of Mercy playing in the background. More than likely, he'll probably have something on by Morrissey, won't he? Oh, life's so difficult <laughs> yes. and hard. Oh, no. <laughs> Funny enough, a Morrissey song did come to my mind when I was watching that, and I can't remember now what it was. But yeah, he is very Morrissey. Um, prick yeah I fucking hate Morrissey loads of people (laughs) seem to like him I cannot fucking stand him I just found him so deeply annoying yeah I think he's become quite on PC these days as well hasn't he he's he's a bit right wing which is quite ironic a bit bit right wing (laughs) Jesus the man's like fully embraced his right wings side what a loot anyway that's not i don't want to get like killed by morrissey fans but frankly i fucking hate morrissey we'll leave it there um but interesting <laughs> i've lost like 95 percent of my listener base probably now haven't I? Um, <laughs> and you've lost you nearly even lost where you're going with that one as well so we got the narrick on a, on a ship playing with his playing with his um his penis replacement yeah and I just got really angry. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> playing his penis replacement. Wanking away there and listen to Morrissey. <laughs> back on track. So we cut back to the um, to the ship and the conversation between the captain and uh, Raffi, where she starts saying, he basically sort of flat out says to her, you know, we need to resolve this. And sort of says to her, you are the problem. And she says, well, it doesn't involve shooting me out of the airlock, does it? And he goes, well, kind of. And she was really understandably pissed off. <laughs> she would be, after everything they've been going through. And he wants I to love, speak. <laughs> I love the EMH. So it's like we've got a problem. He goes, is it Agnes? She's having stomach trouble. And then we got to what I could only see as... Uh, it's 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 the uh, the happy happy Joanne almost orgasm scene for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was. There she is, lying flat out in her back, and this time Rios isn't isn't on top of her and uh, not saying a word. It's the most credible bit of acting she's done yet. I love yeah, that, that scene. I could just watch that scene over. She's in a coma. Morrissey yeah. <gasps> so. Girl in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> so, tickle me, Elnor, the poor sod. He's now completely... I mean, at this point, you've got to feel a bit sorry for Elnor because he's totally out of his comfort zone. He's completely utterly on his own. Um, mm-hmm. And then he sees... Now, you're going to have to help me because... He sees this little dog tag. Excuse me, this little hanging tag thing. Is that the stuff, like one of those examples of what Seven gave to Picard? Yes, it is. I actually had to read this scene because I couldn't understand what was going on at that, that time. It, it did make an awful lot of sense. According to Memory Alpha, because I, I like to have a wee read of what they say about the um, about each, each episode, they said at that point, uh, Elmo comes into an area 
that is that's actually Hugh's desk that he's sort of hiding underneath. And he notices the tag for the Fenris Rangers, which is the same yes. one as Seven had given Picard a few episodes before on Canto Bright from Star Wars. And um, he he hits it and it sends off a signal for help. Now, interesting enough, the um, there's a clip of episode eight on Will Wheaton's show. And if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I think you'll be quite happy. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing that thing because I've not seen that. Now, we cut to a wonderful scene because, I mean, he's there holding these hands and you're right, he's hidden like a desk or something. So we cut to Picard and Riker doing the manliest of things, wandering through the forest, drinking some sort of drink, probably will be Earl Grey tea and God knows what. Riker's drinking probably something made out of like crushed, um, I don't know, cr- what sort of crap grows in that forest, probably like crushed acorns or something. Um, Pochin. Yeah. drinking <laughs> And then uh, they contact the captain on the ship who's understandably a bit stressed, <laughs> which <laughs> they do comment on. They go, like, you know, he's got a bit of an attitude problem. Um, and it, then, I mean, I just want to say, wherever they shot this, it is a gorgeous place. I mean, so picturesque. And it, mm-hmm. well, the sight on this water thing, it's just, you couldn't ask for anything better. But I love, to me, this is probably one of the best scenes of the entire show because it encapsulates the wonderful relationship between Riker and Picard. Not only, well, putting to one side the loyalty they would have had to each other as, you know, captain when the you know when it was captain and commander um in starfleet it just shows the genuine friendship between them doesn't it and the fact that they will do whatever they can to help each other yes and also Riker's sitting there with his arm around picard which but yeah. not not in a not in a homoerotic way but just in a we're men we're happy in our sexuality sort of a way yeah. and i thought oh he's kind of giving him a wee hug you know i'm yeah. here for you mate no, I know you're in the shit and you should probably have never retired. I mean, Riker doesn't yeah. think he should, re- Picard should have ever retired. And, and, and Picard asks him, would he come back into service again? And he says, no, he's on active service. And it, it would take a lot for him to, to leave his family, really, because after everything that they've lost, I think, well, Diana had mentioned before that she would worry for the safety of Kestra if shit goes down. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so I think Riker's not going to leave his family to go back to Starfleet again. Uh, I would just say that speaking on any homoerotic stuff, if there was any sort of, uh, you know, uh, homoerotic stuff between uh, any characters, Riker would be the least likely. Although, to be fair, Riker was gay. He really has put the effort into, to, you know, to throw people off the scent because that man was sleeping with so many women. <laughs> it was untrue. Well, Riker could never be gay. Look at how he's gone. I mean, he's overweight. He's got a fuzzy beard, his hair. Gay men are generally a wee bit more better presented than that. That's true. Well, ah, but wouldn't Riker be a bear? Oh, he could be. That's true. He just needs a biker jacket now as well. He needs a cup with a load of badges. As I've learned listening to Kevin Smith, one of his friends, um, whose name uh, is it Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm, I think he, he, Malcolm Ingram, I think he's called. He's a gay guy. He's like a bear. He's a big, big bloke. 
So, yeah, I understand it's big, hairy guys are bears, aren't they? With beards and they stuff. Are, so, yeah, yeah Riker, would, Riker would be the perfect bear. And going from, <laughs> we, we've sidetracked as ever, but going from that, we cut to their daughter and Soji talking. Um, and again, it's just a nice little scene because I guess what you're seeing is Soji no longer has a sister. So in a sense, she's got a little sister in Kestra. Kestra has no older sibling anymore. So it was just a nice little scene to see them together. And then it cuts to them leaving. Uh, what I will say in this episode is that, well, in general, is that clearly they don't bother to paint the back of uh, Jonathan Frakes' hair in anymore. Because there's a, there's a shot above when they're all hugging. And yep, you can see, uh, see you know, Jonathan Frakes' bald spot. Uh, <laughs> quite prominently but I just thought it was a lovely little scene um, obviously you see them you know I mean Picard does the two to beam up thing and they beam up onto the ship and then it, it sort of cuts away and you see the Rikers going back to their, their log cabin the cabin's pretty very uh, does it a disservice because it looks like a giant building Um they're probably actually a way to treat everything to make sure it's not flammable. That's true. Yeah, you'd have to really coat it with something to me, make sure it wasn't flammable, because it's like the world's yeah. uh, biggest fire trap known to man. Um, so, as an episode, how did you find that, Joanne? Um, I thought there was a couple of um, there's a couple of wee interesting bits, um, mostly with Kestra. I think uh, she taught Soji, how to speak another language. I have a feeling that's going to come in useful at some point. She also gave her a compass from that captain that's mentioned who lives on that planet too, the old Soak. She did, yeah. Yeah, she she gave her a compass that doesn't actually work. But she, she just <laughs> has to believe that it works. So I thought there was a couple of wee bits that we might see appear later on. Uh, hmm. I thought it wasn't a bad episode. It was a bit hard up and down at times. Um hmm. I would probably give it a seven and a half. It's still not hitting the highs for me of the first episode, and I don't know why. I don't know why it's because we're going so in depth, but and you're sort of sitting considering things a wee bit more. So you notice, you know, character flaws and maybe if the plot mm. drops. But yeah, the big thing was to see Troy and Riker. That was unfortunately yeah. spoiled for me on Facebook. Um, I got to see it the, the next morning, but somebody had already put up a photograph. I thought, no, 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 I. Because I was convinced it was going to be. I I had I was so convinced in your theory that it was going to be later on down the line. So it was a bit yeah. of a shock for me to see that that actually appeared. Uh, highlight of it has got to be the cheese moment with Riker. <laughs> yeah. <And> <laughs> that was just personal to us, but that was the yes. highlight of that. I would probably give it for the cheese alone. I would give it an eight. Yeah. I. Well, just to, to recap, interesting what happened for me to find out about Riker and Troy being in is I literally had no idea, nil. And then I, there was something, I think I was just looking at to see what the general score was on things, and it had a picture of Riker, and I thought, well, maybe it's possible that Riker is just up as a picture because he'd been in the trailer. So I thought, well, I'll watch the episode. And how I found out Riker was in it was a real, it annoyed me, actually. Normally, I always tell it to skip the in, the introduction into the show. And for some reason, for that episode, I didn't do it. And, of course, Jonathan Freights came up as a guest star, didn't he? So I was like, damn it. Oh, I could have really been surprised. <laughs> oh, I know, because it, it really did take away that, that shock element. 
it kind of took me away from the nostalgia a wee bit because I already knew it was going to happen. And I think the, the disappointment of finding out before I seen it in the episode was enough to take away from the nostalgia. I mean, it was still, it was still really nice to see them. And LeVar Burton and Brett Spinner, Spiner, whatever you call them, uh, they actually visited the set. And there's a nice wee scene of them actually all sitting around together. You know, that Riker and Troy and Data and um, LaForge and Picard all sitting around together with sunglasses on. Uh, oh, I'll, so, I'll have to have a look for that. Yeah, it's quite a nice one. Somebody had said about uh, LaForge, was it? Some of them were the carers of some of the other elderly members of the crew. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's love. I think I, I didn't get the nostalgia as much as I'd really hoped. And mm. I, I don't know why. I don't know whether it's maybe because Diana and Riker, I didn't find as believable as a couple as I did previously. I don't know why. Maybe there was, yeah, I just sensed a distance in the relationship, but that they were there together, not so much for love, but there for the daughter and because of uh, shared trauma. Oh, we've gone deep. I mean, it could be that. It could be the fact that naturally, because they've been along, uh, you know, they've been together so long, they've sort of got into a, a routine of being around each other. I still got the impression they loved each other deeply. Um, yeah, I, maybe, I agree there, but it was just there wasn't there wasn't that connection that you would have seen between them and TNG. But maybe it's because in TNG it's a bit more, you know, sounds like a strange way to say it for that sort of show, but maybe with them at that point there's a bit of bit more white-hot passion, wasn't there? There's always sort yes. of like a, uh, you know, the electricity between them. This is a, sounds like a terrible way to describe it, but this is almost like the, uh, the old shoe analogy now. You know, they've... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? It sounds awful, but you know what I mean, don't you? What you're saying is uh, Riker's had his feet inside Troy on too many occasions now for it to be demeaning. <laughs> but yeah, the thing is, beta-zoid women, women are supposed to have really increased sex drive the older they get. Because you remember her mum came on board, she wanted to shag pretty much everything, particularly Picard. And yeah. uh, uh, Diana has, a, has the joy of telling Picard that actually beta-zoid women who sex drives grow, grow more and more as as they get older, and Riker sit beside her, going, "Is that right now? That's fucking brilliant!" Yahoo! He's part to be rubbing his hands with glee. It's certainly possible. I mean, we don't know what goes on when you know, the daughter's out running around the woods. She could be riding him like an old pony. So... Right. Do have that outside car system right enough, and I'm still convinced there may be a group of swingers out there in the forest. <laughs> oh, you know that was oh, that is so yeah, Joanne. That is the greatest theory I've heard. That beats anything to do with anything else we've ever said. You know, you know that they would definitely be swingers. They would so be up for it. Because let's think about it. They've got the outside shower. They'll have people burning, sorry, beaming down. They've got the shields and protective stuff. Now, the now you know Riker says it's to protect them from some sort of weird stuff. I think it's to stop like any any angry you know partners or things turning up and knowing what's going on. <laughs> and then there's all those tomatoes as well. There's an awful lot of tomatoes there. It's bound to be for kinky purposes. I can't believe they're just eating pizza all the time. It's going to be like nine and a half weeks in front of the <laughs> fridge. <laughs> Do you think they have fridges there? I'm a wee bit worried because they seem to have very little of anything. Considering they're cooking their food outside, they're having showers outside. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's not very 21st century. Well, uh, what impresses me is that Riker obviously is a man who, like, you know, no, no, he has a lot of skills. He can cook all this, but he can also make sausages really quickly from a dead rabbit. Yeah. I wonder did he later and he went, he just fucked that in the bin <laughs> and look, you know, <laughs> and he went into the fridge that they actually did have and brought out and thought, thank goodness for that. I have a couple of pork sausages there in the fridge, yeah. but she'll never notice. <laughs> She's out slaughtering the bunny population. <laughs> never any of them been eaten. <laughs> yeah, there's no rabbits at all left on the entire planet now. It's just a barren wasteland. Yeah, a mad wee thing has been out slaughtering everything. Meanwhile, Riker's just been importing pork sausages. Well, it makes sense why they've got all the uh, the tomatoes left still. Because <laughs> all the rabbits are dead. <laughs> yes, that's the rabbits will come in and need, need everything. Unless... Unless he's bur- unless he's burying the, I mean, they talk about the regenerative powers of the soil in, on that planet. Unless he's burying the rabbits every time and they're just coming back to life like zombies. Well, it's like pet cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> Some things are better off dead. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, Agnes would be one of those. In fact, it makes perfect sense because you know how. Speaking of the pet cemetery analogy, you know how, like Troy says, some things are better off real. <laughs> Not on this occasion. Zombie rabbits <laughs> running around the planet, being murdered time and time again. It'd be like some sort of weird version of altered carbon. <laughs> what I'd love is the idea that at night you look out and there's just all these little glowing eyes surrounding the house. <laughs> Just waiting, waiting. The walking rabbit dead. I just, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. They had the young girl killing the rabbits. Uh, I thought that was a bit strange for a pacifist. I know they're yeah, living could. off the land and thing, but you can replicate them. It's true, but it's it's interesting. That is actually a really interesting point. She's willing to kill stuff. You know, their little mini Greta Thunberg they've got, who says that she's you know all. I'm a pacifist. I won't kill or hurt people, but she'll kill rabbits. Hmm. Uh, um, my boy claimed to hurt people and, and save the rabbits, to be perfectly honest, especially during the working week, Monday to Friday. <laughs> yeah, be, be afraid. Be very <laughs> afraid. Um, I would probably, on the idea of what to give the episode, I would probably give it an eight. Uh, I was mainly just for the, the real nostalgia uh, sort of to me, it felt like watching Riker and Troy again was like a big, warm, enveloping hug, really, for me. It, it meant an awful lot to me. Um, now, I want to see what you think is something I'm going to say. I know that I always touted that I thought it would be the last episode of the series. I honestly, and I'm not just saying this because I pushed that as an idea, but I honestly think that entire episode could have served as a finale that season. Yes, because it was very downbeat as well. It was quiet. It was quiet in amongst all the franticness of the, the board cube and what was going on in the La Serena. Mm. It was quite downbeat in many respects, you know, in terms of tempo. It would have been yeah. quite a nice to it. I think like- it could have served very well as a final episode because you had Hugh killed, you had Agnes going into a coma, you had uh, Eleanor stuck on the ship using the thing to get help. So- and you had the reunion of Riker and Troy and Picard. 
I think that they could have they could have used it. I mean, let's hope they have a great ending to the series uh, for, and a good cliffhanger for the next. But I think that could have worked as a finale quite easily. Actually, I think that would to me that would have been a wonderful way to end it, as you would have had established okay. characters. Mm-hmm. You would have established characters. It would have it would have hopefully met the needs of people who wanted to see the old characters back in. So yeah, I'm, it, to me, that's, that would have, it would have been great in that respect, but you know, I'm defending my own honor. <laughs> having in your it head, wrong. it was the last. Yeah. You know what? Don't watch the next three. <laughs> Don't watch yeah, the next either. three. I'll, just, I'll, I'll spend those, those next three weeks sitting talking to myself in my headphones on. <laughs> Well, no, don't even turn around. Just sit talking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in a room on my own, talking away, nodding every so often, peeing into myself, and having <laughs> the, old, the odd sip of Pepsi Max sitting beside me, and fighting the urge to have a wee. Obviously, I'll have to, I'll have to until until my, my bladder practically bursts. By the way, on that subject, how, how's your how's your old bladder tonight, son? Oh, oh, old man Stafford's doing fine. I've not had as much coffee to drink, so I'm okay. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm okay. I should explain to everybody listening. We get to the end of the podcast every week, and by this time, James is literally bursting for a pee. The, the, yeah. I mean, last week was particularly bad. Was right. I've got to go off the kettle. I've got to go now. Quick, right, let's go. Okay, bye, see you. And then I got a message about 10 minutes later. Sorry about that, but I really needed a pee. <laughs> yeah, it, it was bad. I was pacing the house. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why it was crackly. That it was the technical issues with you moving around. It wasn't my headphones at all. Yeah, it was my feet hitting squeaky floorboards, basically. Um, but yeah, as the episode went, I did really enjoy it. As I said, I think it could have probably served as a a finale. Um, I, I'm I'm a bit confused. The reason I also think it could have said well as a finale is I'm a bit confused as to what they're going to do with it next. Yep, that's a good point because they've put all their eggs in one basket and they've also given us cheese. Where yeah. do you go from there? It's going to be a tough one because I can't logically see where they're going to go. But we're going to find out and I think that's probably a good point to end on. Um so, hopefully, they will serve us up something nice next time, you know, with a nice cheese uh, board to go with it. Uh, so, on that note, thank you for uh, discussing uh, Picard and talking some Cod's Wallet with me. Uh, I have been James. And I've been Joanne. And by the way, everybody, uh, if there's any particular type of cheese that you think should feature in each episode, give us a cheese to talk about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have a cheese please. Based on well. And on that note, I'm going to stop recording in three, two, one.